0: This is a trigger warning from the legal department, just reminding you that this shit is pretty heavy, and that's okay. Take a deep breath, don't forget to hydrate, wash your fucking hands.
1: Andrew Herman. My goodness, where does one even begin to tell the tale of the greatness that is my friend Andrew. So, what you're about to listen to, friends, this is a conversation between someone that I've known for a very long time, and it's, it's at the point where it's like, you know, even though we met at at college, right, freshman year of college, we're tipping into, like, I've known him longer than I haven't known him. I'll probably have tipped past that point. Anyway, Andrew Herman is a big-timer in the tech sales space, um, has is in a leadership position and has been so for, for quite some time. The company that he represents is called Meltwater. Meltwater just went uh, IPO in the most exquisite fashion in the European markets. And Andrew has been there since I think it was 12 million in, in revenue in their past like 2 billion. I think it was the market cap, something to that effect. Um, anyway, Andrew was also one of the most gifted athletes that I've ever seen play. He was a soccer player, and when we um, were in in college, obviously that was that was a big thing. So Division One Patriot League, American University. Anyway, Andrew has taken. I don't even know the gifts, the skills, the work ethic of, that are required to perform um, at such a high level in sports, and has transitioned that into everything that he's done in his professional career. And my goodness gracious, we talk about <laughs> obviously some some crazy stories from back in the day, including promoting. Um, we talk about career transitions. We talk about evolutions the evolutions that we go through as as human beings, and then we get into team building um, and, like, building of of relationships and and networks in a way that is very, very different from, you know, let's say some of the vanity metrics that are put out, um, that are very different than some of the vanity metrics that we, we see people chase on LinkedIn. I'm excited. This is his first podcast, which we'll find out like really early into the the session. And so I'm excited about that. But I'm also, I know that Andrew does not, his, his network and his relationships are, are something that are a very different thing than what we can all see and hear from those that produce a lot of content. And you know what, what he has done, at Meltwater, over the 13 years that he's been there. I, I mean, one can only dream. I mean, shit, it's the stuff it dreams. And so for anybody that's interested in learning about how to take in a sales organization from 15 million to, you know, over 2 billion or, or whatever the number was, like this is this is a, a podcast episode that you, you definitely want to listen to. this is a conversation that you're not going to want to miss. I was a part of it, and I <laughs> I don't want to miss it and, you know, have, have continued to, to listen. It's worth noting that all the talk that we do about teams and team design and team selection, this is all totally applicable for buying teams as well. Friends. So um, just as much intention is put into, like, who's going to be on the actual team. These are the same types of—this was the same way that I used to think about how to put together— um, project teams for projects within the process improvement realm and as well as buying teams right? which are a big part of I think learning how to sell to an enterprise right? it's not just one champion it's not just one buyer and it's certainly not a transaction you know there's a lot more time involved. but anyway so the, the same conversation uh, can certainly be applied to to performing as a, as a tech seller as well But anyway, Andrew Herman, Andrew Herman, Andrew Herman. With that, I'm going to stop talking about leadership and team design and transcending definitions and and understanding of concepts and just doing it maybe in a divergent way with, of course, the most exquisite results. And with that, I bring you my great friend, my great, talented, exceptional friend and human being, Andrew Herman
2: are we doing it now?
1: No, I mean, well, I can edit. I, it's shocking how much I've enjoyed the learning about editing, so it's not to say all this comes in, but uh, Andrew Herman, welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline.
2: Thanks for having me, man.
1: Uh, So I'm running a search in Spotify to see if you've ever done any podcasts, although I guess I could just ask you.
2: No, I'm not sure that I have. I'm a rookie.
1: <sighs> well... I'm honored, and also at the same time, like pop your cherry. I nope. wrote down like if I if I use the line like is it true you went 12 for 12 with Maxim cover models? Do you know what movie that's from?
2: Oh man, I do. Uh, what movie? Iron
1: Man. Iron Man two. Okay. So when I was thinking like what's the first starting line that would be the question. Okay, so Andrew Herman, have you listened to any of the episodes? Do you know what you're get, what you've gotten yourself involved in?
2: I am I have absolutely no idea what we're stepping into, so this is going to be fun.
1: This is amazing. Okay, so I do like a little blurb at the beginning of each episode, so let's just assume everybody's been intro to you and I.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And your VP status at Meltwater, a very sexy acquisition or merger. I forget the terms. That's Pete. Say hi, Pete. Hello. Hello, Pete. <laughs> okay. So now the show, the whole theme around the show, Andrew, is conversations about uncomfortable conversations in sales
2: mm-hmm.
1: of which Pushing we have
2: people outside their comfort zone
1: pushing people outside of their comfort zone and practicing, right? This is a whole big deep practice exercise for myself with these stupid ass conversations so that I can get better. Okay. But anyway, I wrote down of things. I'm just going to read to you the list of, of topics that came to mind when I was thinking about you and I and our like history as well as landing in the same career or in the same profession, I guess you could say. So shifting careers, which you've done masterfully numerous times with, like I saw the post about meltwater being your first interview on top of your first job like get the fuck out of here. Okay, but there's that.
2: 13 years later.
1: Yeah, and so that was the next one changing as a person, right? What are the evolutions that we go through as a human being? And so I think of, you know, the first time that you and I became friends, you were rookie of the year at American University for Patriot League for soccer to rooming together, aren't you? Yep. Yeah our (laughs) junior year, all the promoting that you did, remember five and all the clubs and the flyering of the dorms and like moving people, which I took into my career. I don't even think we've ever talked about the pucker promotions that I did for the summer after junior year that I learned. I've Yeah. So I did, it was all the first one I did. The guy that owned the bar was like, I've done this for 20 years. Never in my entire career has somebody sold more liquor at their event than you. How long have you been doing this? And I'm, I was like, well, you're my third But did you know Andrew Herman, like I've watched him for two and a half years do this masterfully.
2: Are you still around?
1: Yeah, I mean, do you drink apple martinis anymore? Because I don't. Wait, so that that same uh, event, that was Sean Albright. That was uh, Seattle City. And he calls me the next morning on his way to go surfing at the beach. He's like, Amy, there are piles of multicolored vomit, like on every corner from from my house to the beach and I'm holding you fully responsible. Mm Yeah. So we like, maybe pucker it's, like, doesn't need to be brought back into the light. But so there's that. So changing as a person, luck versus intuition. I mean, Andrew, I think of the average tenure right now for a VP of tech sales is like 12 to 14 months. So you're 12 years at mm-hmm. Meltwater. Obviously, when we're talking transitioning careers, we're talking about professional athlete, right? Which was the division in?
2: So I was um, back, in, uh, back in time, it was called the A-League, so under the MLS.
1: Under the MLS. Okay, that's right.
2: Three years there, right? Okay.
1: Yeah, so tell us this. Yeah, so tell us, tell us about how you have got to sales like, and go into as many tangents or details as you want. I'm just going to listen.
2: As the world would have it, it's tied to our uh, club promoting history. So I, I was bouncing around playing soccer. Um, it was amazing but wasn't checking all the boxes. So a buddy of ours who was promoting with me at American University, Fernando Arcieri, happened to work at a company called Meltwater. Um, 200 people at the time, global presence, probably around 15 million in revenue. And um, he knew I was a bit lost and said, don't worry, we've got the light at the end of the tunnel for you. Interview at my company. It's called Meltwater. Uh, it's amazing. So I, I walk into a group recruitment in Midtown, uh, New York City. What year was I this? job in uh, 2008, June okay.
1: 2008. Got it, okay.
2: First job interview ever. And at this time, um, I have no idea what Meltwater does. When you Google it, it's very vague. It's literally my first experience not putting on cleats and uh, a uniform right? Mm-hmm. So I go to this group interview, I spend 10 hours with the people doing the the hiring. And I wake up the next morning, and they offer me a job. Um, I <laughs> soccer that day. Uh, and it's now been 13 years. So um, how about that for a transition?
1: Uh, you know, part of me, I mean, I have a little bit more context to some of the rockier transition, like aspects to some of the transitions, whether it was AU to Rutgers and that, you know, Mm -hmm. but also then I think about my rocky transitions, which happened later on. And I, Andrew, I remember the pictures. We've spoken about this of you and your team. I remember you being in South Africa. I think I went to go see Sarah Mance over there, and here you are, like growing this team, using all the things that I know that you are great at to create. Teams to maintain that spirit, and I, I mean just all the all the things that you hear tossed around in like tech sales, like oh coaching or oh practice, and then oh like oh, we'll mock point at like sports as an example. But the person that's sharing like clearly does not know the difference between like you know coaching an individual and coaching a team, and like not all coaching is created equal. But anyway. And I know you have all these things, and then I chuckle at having done some like I didn't do any research prior to this call, except, but I looked on your LinkedIn page and just to see like some of the posts to see like what you've been talking about recently to kind of get into somebody's head like, it's a good starting point for conversations. Hey, I've seen you've been writing about this. Anyway, you had no posts with the exception of like one from six months ago when Meltwater was acquired and then one from four years before that. And so, no. but it was a lot of liking, like the last thing that you did was liked one of the posts about the the podcast. So thank you for that. No. But like to have such... Like I think of all of the time and energy that people put into kind of hacking LinkedIn. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then I look at success trajectories that don't involve LinkedIn at all. And people that have an ability to create community and create relationships and create an environment and a team culture, like I know that you did. And in fact, when we were talking about doing the VC fund in like 5 6 years and you you said something to me about like how you and I always made a great team. I think of you as an integral part of that. And I I don't even know where the question is here but how did how would you explain to our listeners by the way which um, I can't remember did I say it experienced tech seller that's the the target audience? Like okay. how would you explain to our listeners now that you know who they are how to balance the difference between some of the vanity metrics around LinkedIn and creating and maintaining a culture that people aspire to become a part of and stay a part of, I guess, in a way that you don't see written about or talked about.
2: Mm -hmm. So I think um, two pieces to that conversation, the the first piece ties to the Meltwater story and how I got here. And then I think uh, that'll go into the second piece. So you mentioned how did it all happen? I I think um, first there was luck and timing, right? And then there's the opportunity that um, presented itself right at the time Meltwater was growing um, and had these incredible international opportunities for me in Cape Town and Dubai and New Delhi, India. Um, You know, those three things combined sort of created my my path, right? If I had joined a year earlier, they wouldn't have been there. A year later, somebody else would have taken them. So I think that that... Th- that mix of things started me on my Meltwater path and then why I worked at Meltwater. You know, a, a lot of sales leaders talk about culture and sales and all these things, you know, leading a, a team in, in sales is about having the right mix of finding the right people, motivating them the, the, the right way, building the, the right team you know, having your social antennas up and pointed out in the right way, Um, you know, driving the right people at the right time certain ways. Um, And and I think I realized that piece of it very early on and it enabled me to uh, keep keep growing and expanding with Meltwater. Um, Now into the second piece of that, yeah, I do very little interactions on uh, LinkedIn in particular. There's just a lot of stuff and noise
1: hey, hey, you're allowed to crack or uh, no, excuse me curse on the show like there's fucking noise
2: yeah it's there's there's a lot of noise, and you know maybe good noise, maybe bad noise, but the way I look at it is you know I've been in the professional world for thirteen years, and I've probably hired my guess is five hundred salespeople, right, and um you know a good chunk of those people should not have. Uh, started a career in sales, and I shouldn't have hired him, right? But that's what you learn over those years. But I would say the larger portion of that number are people who go on and do great things at Meltwater, or go on and have gone on to some of the largest companies in the world and been incredible leaders and salespeople. And I think that that is my real network, not creating noise on LinkedIn to people who may or may not be listening. But I think that that LinkedIn serves that purpose. I know that when I need something from a certain company in a certain industry, I'll have a connection there or a connect of a connect there. And that's how, you know, LinkedIn can do a lot of magic. That's how it it would be for me. It it wouldn't be by posting or following or 10,000 followers and all that junk. It it would be if I needed something, I'd probably find uh, a way there.
1: I'm reminded of the number of times like when I was looking and I would see people that have overlapped with you at Meltwater and it was always, there was, Andrew, I could always use your name, knowing how you treated people, knowing the reputation, like I just, and you're right, the Meltwater network has been pretty extensive and something that you've been exposed to for an extended period of time due to the longevity and, and the commitment there. But I want to go back to something you said at the beginning about finding the right people and building in the right way and motivating in the right way. Like to do so, I've been using when I thought about coming into 2021, it was the year of right action, right? Not just about taking action, but about the right action. And part of being able to ascertain what the right way is, who the right people are, what's the right way to motivate, is having a a really deeper, richer understanding of what the problem is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's something that we're very good at in, in like at the tech leadership level, right? Or si- there's a difference between a sales boss versus a sales leader. So at the sales boss level, which is really getting to the heart of what is the actual problem and differentiating between maybe like chasing after symptoms indefinitely that never really addresses the problem. And so, I mean, what would you say to that?
2: Yeah. So I, I think, um, it starts with understanding what type of a team you want to build and what type of a team you're creating, right? And then if you find the right profiles, then you, you can you, that team won't fail. But if you try to force the wrong people into that team, then it'll be a disaster. So my, my team, my profile is incredibly talented, incredibly ambitious, incredibly hungry, want- to take my job in a few years, will stop at nothing to win mentality. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, high quality standards, a good heart, a good person, you know, you don't want an asshole to do this with, right? So I think that I I understand that that's my DNA. That's what we've tried to create at Meltwater. And um, we stick to that. So if you were to go into any of our offices, Beijing, Tokyo, Cape Town, Johannesburg, uh, Sao Paulo, you have those people there um, eight out of 10 times. And that's that's what has built Meltwater into um, the company that we are. And, you know, only 20 or 25 people do all the hiring at Meltwater, you know, maybe uh, right now over the years, it's probably been double that. Um, but. We knew we know for a long time what what kind of person we want to file and it's easy. Um, you know, once you have that set, then it's easy to find those people in interviews because uh, you, you prod into those characteristics.
1: So I'm chuckling at two things. And one, it's I think about us in college Mm-hmm. And I think I just read a book. It's called Assholes, A Theory. And it's written by an economist and it is fucking, it's a gr- exceptional book. And I think in many ways, Andrew, both of us were assholes um, in college. You Would definitely. you agree?
2: Me, probably bigger, but yeah. Um, trying to find uh, a way to being a grown-up. It's,
1: it's, But then I think about Alex, do you remember when we were talking about Alex Adamson and WISE? So Mm -hmm. for um, our listeners, there's a community, a sales community. WISE stands for Women in Sales Everywhere. Alex Adamson is the fantastic executive director. It's very tech-centric. And I found it, like while I was doing all the research for that gender in sales, Article which Andrew went like just to connect the dots for you like one of the stats that I was digging into is the idea of right. So, 85% of the sales leaders in tech sales are, are white men, mostly white men. And when you've got a, a white male boss, right, the, the demographics on the team generally play out 80% white men, 20% everybody else. And I wanted that so hard. I wanted to project that onto you. And I was like really just coming to terms with my anger. And while I was doing this research, right? So I was having all these conversations, half women, half men, like women, like the most horrific sob stories when when I would start with, okay, do we have a problem with gender in tech sales? And if so, like, what is it? Like, what's the problem statement? And then like the other half of the population just being like, oh no, there's no problem whatsoever. It was like a hard time. But then (sighs) I was speaking with, Alex, And again, on LinkedIn, mutual connection, Andrew Herman. And I was like, Alex, oh, by the way, like we have this mutual connection, Andrew. And she proceeded to say that you were one of the deepest like champions of WISE and how you had sought out to bring the women on your team, whether they were ICs aspiring or at any point moving up to to use your nomenclature, right? They wanted your job. Into wise and exposing them to the people there. And it was just, it was a breath of fresh air, but also you were in many ways, you are an anomaly in that sense where... I guess the evolution is a, of a human being. Right? There's plenty of assholes in college. There's plenty of like extreme athletes, very, very, very popular that could move an entire class of people to a club on a weekly basis and take mm-hmm. a cut of the ticket sales. Um, but like, that never grow out of that, or never reach like, yeah. any I mean, couple of stages past like enlightenment where you are. Like, how did you, how did you come to terms? and evolve as a human to get to that point where Alex Adamson was and wise, which is my favorite women in sales communities. Shout out to wise. Um, How did you get there?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, back, back when we first met, we were kids trying to figure out life. Right. Uh, But still good people. And I think that all the people I'm still in touch with from college, the reason that uh, I've stayed in touch is because they're just, they've turned into good people. Right. Um, I I, I think, in general at meltwater females just kick ass and there are so many women kicking ass at meltwater in senior positions and um you know you talked before about getting outside their comfort zone um i, I think in general women are outside their comfort zone easier than uh, males probably right um but just willing to do things in the right way and um Why do you think
1: that is? I've, I've never thought about that Uh, from that perspective that women are do better outside their comfort zone. What what makes you say that?
2: No, I'm not sure what the, the reason is. Um, but I think now uh, on, on my team, you know, I have four or six direct reports. Four of them are females. Right. And I think that, um, you know, women at Meltwater do really well. They're some of our best sellers, some of our best leaders. Um, and when I got introduced to Alex, I mean, what she told me, it, it was just awesome. And we've been, um, you know, putting people into the, the wise community and having them guest speak for a few years now. Um, and, and like you said, I mean, it's just a kick-ass uh, program and community.
1: It's like, well, it's the chicken and the egg scenario here because I'll I'll never forget the first time. So Alex does these, she calls them pods Mm -hmm. and it's like a a mashup of people. So every, whatever. And so the first time I did one of these pods, I set up the computer, whatever, went to walk, get the coffee. And all of a sudden the room was just filled with these two women, Maura and Miranda, who we still get together and, and do this, recreate this, but sharp brilliant like banter that just and i hadn't experienced anything like that in a in a sales community let alone a a female um group and then i was surprised like how come i didn't hear about this sooner like you know all those those same things and so then to find out that andrew herman beat me there by a couple years and then all the women on his team are killing it and you know is it is it because there was a leader like andrew that that put them in a place to be surrounded by other women who were able to help coach and mentor and advise them on some of those differences. Um, in the same way, like, you know, um, sales for the culture. Have you seen this one? The black community, yeah. right? Pretty exceptional type space too. But anyway, so are the women on your team thriving because they are in fact women or have you created an environment and pull together resources, like not even necessarily all meltwater to create and facilitate Mm -hmm. the right type of building and motivating. I don't know. Riddle me that, Batman.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I think, again, it's a combination of my story and the situation and timing, finding the right people. Um, You know, in general, people are their happiest with leaders who make them feel loved and cared for, who teach them, um, you know, and, and they have a possibility of growth right? So in general, if any leader is doing those things, then the person's going to be happy, right? Or happiest or motivated and working hard and wanting to succeed. So why is it that, um, you know, females are kicking ass at meltwater? Are they, are they, Better fits to what we're looking for. I don't. Maybe I work better with them. Um, I, I don't know. I think. it's Wait,
1: a, What was the number? Uh, twelve for twelve. Maximum cover months.
2: Exactly. I think it's a <laughs> combination of all those things. Um, you know, and and the right leaders bring out the best in people in general, right? Um, and, and I just think uh, you know, females at Meltwater have as good an opportunity to get promoted and move through the ranks as as males, and it's something that you know it 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 happens. You know, we we will promote based on talent, and if they're going to be capable of succeeding with that responsibility, and uh, yeah, more more often than not, it just happens to be females.
1: So, with like this is a perfect transition to this idea of giving a human being a proper shake at these promotions but also your own career path like i mm-hmm. i can only imagine the number of times a recruiter had contacted you about leaving metwater mm-hmm. and even the number of promotions whether it's it was a lateral like go move to the cape town mm-hmm. <laughs> or dubai or wherever versus you know proceed down a so you've made a lot of decisions and from the outside they look like perfect ones, but I know you, and mm-hmm. I know the intention and the the thinking that goes behind these types of choices, like deep thinking. And so I'm curious, you know, what you would say to our listeners that are navigating these career choices. Um, and then also like, I if that's not indication enough of where we're going, like, I wanna hear, we're gonna get real about Andrew Herman and, and how to think about what comes next. So yeah, but start to let's go a bit to the career from the step by step, like how from the from the angle of uncomfortable conversations, but also practical takeaways for listeners, like how did you approach uh, 12 years of career decisions mm-hmm. that look like now from the outside that they were fucking perfect?
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean, at the time, and uh, it's funny because we joke about this all the time. Um, at the time, like my move to Cape Town, for example, is definitely not perfect. And it was scary as hell, right? Yeah. And the company had wanted me to move to other cities, but I said, no, I wanted to be in New York. And, and then, uh, you know, in 2010, there was a little soccer tournament there called the world cup. And that's why I got talked into it was to go check out the world cup and then just happened beautiful out.
1: stadium. Right. Or, I did that. I went to the top right? of that thing. You know, I don't even know what it's called whatever, please continue. Yeah.
2: But, but that's how um, the company kind of talked me into going. And okay, nobody knew. Um, I, I mean, I didn't know that it was the right move, but it was an opportunity for growth. It was an opportunity that I knew if I kicked ass, I'd probably be able to come back to New York and do the next cooler thing. Um, so I, I took that opportunity uh, with the mentality of, okay, I'm going to crush this. Nobody's going to do it better. And then after this i'll be able to ask for what i want uh from the company right and i think that reflecting on my my time in cape town i mean it was probably the best year year and a half that uh i've had just living in paradise you know on top of one of the top 10 beaches in the world and doing tech sales right um and i mean what it taught me about you know Sales leadership is a very lonely place, right? And I think that my time there taught me that, right? But surviving that and, and doing well there pretty much proved that I could do it anywhere, any situation, any company, any team, you know, whatever the task, um, you know, that that gave me the confidence to, to know that I probably would be able to take on w- whatever position there was at Meltwater and, and later down and
1: beyond. So, why was it? Why was it lonely?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, first, when, when we got there, it was an emerging market and on an office for us. So there were barely any employees there. And, um, you know, we it probably went on the ground when we got there. There were six, seven total people in Cape Town and when we left. There were probably 40. Um, so myself and a, and a buddy went there together to pretty much put it on the map for the company, right? And, and put
1: so, it on uh, the map you did.
2: Yeah, the, exactly. And then, uh, you know, it, and then we did it, uh, other places, did it in Dubai. And then when I came back to New York, New York was pretty much the largest office at, uh, meltwater and the largest responsibility. So I've had a part then in that for, you know, the past 10 years in some, uh, where or another.
1: How did you not go somewhere else, or did, did i am I just envisioning these offers coming? like I know they they were hitting you up, especially with the longevity. Like that was probably multiple decisions to say.
2: I mean, Melwater always came uh, yeah kept it exciting. you know I can't tell you how many cities I've visited around the world on an airplane every pretty much every four or five days for ten years, you know, whether it's locally, to the offices that I oversee or meetings in Greece, kickoffs in Thailand, kickoffs in Cancun, you know, taking a, a diploma, uh, an MBA diploma at Oxford. Meltwater always kept it exciting as hell. There was always another challenge coming. You know, and then the past year or two, we were we were leading up to an IPO on a European IPO. exchange. That's right. That's right. And, um, you know, this past January, we we did IPO, and it kind of completed the, the story in a sense.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for teeing up the the pivot here. Well, yet again, what now?
2: Yeah, what now? Um, and not yeah. to
1: say like you need the answers. Like I'm I'm more trying to suss out how you're assessing options yeah. so that others that are trying to do the same can have that like mental model?
2: Yeah. Okay. I think, um, you know, I've been doing the hiring for many years and haven't really been active uh, in the, the job uh, market. And, uh, you know, it's scary as hell, to be honest. To be, it's the second time in my life I've been looking for a job right? So it's not uh, it, it's not. not easy. It's, uh, you know, and I'm fortunate that that's the case. It's wild to think that that's the case. Everyone, I just
1: gave Andrew like a double birds, right? So we can all give him one collective lucky asshole. Oh, second time ever. 37, I, I and 38.
2: Think, okay. Yeah. I think the important <laughs> thing is had to bottle it for whenever the meltwater journey ends and who knows when that is. But one, you know, I know meltwater in and out. As well, you know, building an SMB sales machine based on quality people, you can understand that better than than what I've learned here. And, you know, we're in a high gross churn industry. You know, we're on the battlefields in sales every minute of every day. Right. I know that as well as I can. I think anyway, the the three things that um, that are important to me is one, I want to continue to learn. Um, I know what I know, but there's probably a world out there of leaders who have taken five companies to IPO. You know, I I want to continue to learn and advance my education and get good at that. I think that's one. I think two, um, I, I don't slow down, you know, I'm getting close to 40, but I'm not talking about leaving sales and, you know, getting into people or, or. You know, anything like I need to go 150 miles an hour, I need to be on a plane nonstop, I need teams, I need a global footprint for a company that that has to be there. And then lastly, um, you know, I want to be on another rocket ship. Right. Um, The first time I met my CEO here, he said, we're going to be one of the largest tech companies there ever was. And yeah, we're not the largest, but um, we've, we've got a $2 billion market cap right now. It's pretty damn cool that when I started, we were doing $15 million in revenue. And now, you know, we're doing half a billion in sales and I have a $2 billion market cap. And, um, you know, we created this. Well, like we, the, the 20 people who have been instrumental in growing Meltwater started 10 years ago. Nobody's hired externally. So I think that those are the things that are important to me, that I value, and that's where I'll bring the most, um, you know, that, that's where I'll bring the most to an opportunity like that, and probably where I'll learn next, right? So, um, you know, we all know at, at 13 years is amazing. Maybe I see 15 and 20 at Melwater, but eventually, you know, I won't say i at my, water my whole life, but I think that those are the things um, that are important to any decision that I would make.
1: Excellent. So I, it's I'm glad to hear you say continue to learn because that was when you were tagging or listing off character traits that you look for, mm-hmm. that would be the big one for me. Like this, this is, there's a lot of discomfort associated with moving through learning curves, plural, the never ending in this profession. And when there's that level of commitment and enjoyment and joy mm-hmm. from learning, like that character trait carries far, I've found. um, One of the
2: most important pieces of a successful new hire is their ability to take feedback and be coached, right? So that is one of the key four things that we look for. If it's not there, if somebody is coming from a cocky background, they've been doing sales for three years, they know everything mentality, it won't work here. Um, we, We won't even move forward with that
1: Candidate. Well, there's, there's an age factor there um, and gender piece, but it's, I, you know, if I could take the reverse counterpoint on that one, which is we don't have many good coaches mm-hmm. as sales bosses. And so yeah. Like this is actually one of the last episodes, like the last one that just went live today. We we talked about this deeply. It was like when you've been on a great team like that, like Andrew. If I had worked for you, or you, you know, you've been there as well. That's I would equate that to like taking the red pill when it comes to workplaces and work cultures and like working on a team that is um, has achieved that level of cohesion and trust even like, Hey, we're not even hiring from outside the company. We're going to promote from within. So we're cultivating leaders from within. So you're signaling these, these belonging cues, um, to, to pull from Daniel Coyle's culture code that go a really, really long way. But anyway, so yeah. What would you say to that? That most people in our profession, tech sales, B2B tech sales, have never experienced a mediocre to good coach.
2: Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think one, if you realize that and you're in that situation, you need to leave, uh, immediately. Right. Um, sales is a lot of things, making money, you know, being with a cool company, but if, if you aren't developing and especially at certain ages and certain places and stages in your life, then you need to run for the hills. Um, and when you stop learning and developing, you know, th- then you also need, need to run for the hills. I think, um, a lot of leaders, maybe they're great at sales, driving sales processes. Um, you know, sales leadership isn't just about that. And that's actually probably, I, I spend very little time with that. You know, I, I have heads of sales and sales directors that are way better at, you know, doing demos and all these things than than I am, right? Um, people, happiness, motivating them, making them a better business woman or businessman, th- those are the things that I find joy with. And those are the things that I spend most of my time with. And I think that, you know, if, if you find yourself in those situations that, that you're just a robot picking up the phone, smiling and dialing um, on repeat with no feedback, with no weekly and quarterly feedback, um, Feedback and quarterly reviews and this is the direction these are the things you need to get better at honest feedback that hurts, you know Somebody that's trying so hard to be better at one thing, but they just can't get it You need to as a leader You need to be the person that tells them they aren't getting it and it might break them but um, you know, those are the types of leaders that you should you should seek out so that you can get good at at this thing uh, called business.
1: What would you say to a sales boss that thinks they're there, but is maybe coming to terms with the fact that they may not be there? What What's step one? Should so, you want to learn how to do what you described?
2: Yeah. So a person in that situation or a sales leader that's not doing it?
1: Well, someone that's maybe already in a management position. hmm with all the the talking about um psychological safety and mental health and you know, maybe just coming to terms with the fact that there's more learning to do. Yeah. There's room for improvement. Step one. And, and you hit it on the head. Like we talk a lot of times about like how to prospect and how to do a demo. But what you're describing about creating a team, a culture, the the you know, being very intentional with who's on the team and how to motivate in the right way, like. How would someone that has arrived at awareness, step one, step two, intent, right? I want to do this for the right reasons. What do they do to start to build up those skills yeah. or knowledge?
2: I think, um, you know, using Meltwater as an example, you know, I, I think our rep uh, is that we've built the sales machine, people that are, you know, cutting edge killers right that are, are doing business and we we sell all the time on every conversation right and that uh it, it is what it is i think there's obviously a lot of uh, other things you can add to that but um you know again the bottom line is is you can't have jerks on your team you can't have assholes you have to have good people who not only want to do well at sales but want to do the right thing by their their clients right and I, I think that that type of person, you know, you, you can hire and seek out that type of person who are going to do those things in the right way, and that's how you can, you know, build your team. That's the rep that you can create, um, you know, with the rest of your team that you want to do the right thing um, across all these different components. And and the thing is, on top of that. know you, you can't just drive your people blindly without giving back to them without building trust without listening without you know putting them on a career path and track and telling them how to get there right so you need to be doing those things as a leader and not just driving your team um you know numbers and activity that's all that matters no i i actually care less about that stuff if you have a happy employee that's working hard, that's motivated, that needs to learn. Uh, I'll take that any day over a jerk that, um, you know, is thinks they're the best thing to ever happen to sales. I mean, at the end of the day, sales isn't that hard. You know, if you have a smart person that understands business, if you put them on the right path, they're gonna do great at at sales.
1: I think this is the greatest profession in the world. And it's a hybrid of what you said, like not being that hard, is also a variation of anyone. I mean, a privilege being what it what it is. I think that we both know that this is no longer accurate, but in theory, anyone can try.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you may, we may but not be as welcoming as we can or should be in the tech sales. And thank goodness for like the aspireships that are helping people to pivot into this um, vertical. However, I, I think that's one of the biggest pieces that it's it's about. The, who you are as a person and how you make decisions and choices um the hard ones again mm-hmm. and again and again that kind of build on one another that that creates like the crystallizing um after 10 12 15 20 years around here so i hear you and i agree wholeheartedly but you know it's something that you said andrew so now i'm just pivoting away from tech sales and now like you know friend to friend when i when you said that a lot of our friends from college are doing like big and cool things right? Functions of being good people, right? You're right. We did behave in asshole ways in some ways, but at you're right. At the heart, we were and are who we are, you know? Why? And then I want to believe, right? So confirmation bias being what it is that like, it takes one to know one. So a good person could spot a good person. But I guess like, I'm curious, like, what do you think? Like, how, what do you use or why do you think our friends from college are all working on like cool and, and important things? And how did that translate into, you know, mm-hmm. how, I don't want to say judge, but how we interpret who we're meeting.
2: Yeah, No, I think, um, and we um, and, and
1: oh, sorry. One last thing, Sarah Mance, right. Or Sarah Jacobs, this whole podcast was her idea. And she's started a nonprofit on top of, um, fort myer tennis which is a business big deeper story so that she can create buses and bus um children in from different communities to give them more access to tennis i mean this is a confirmation from a month ago and so i think of all like uh, we could go through the list of friends from college and i i think that feels a little bit unusual right to have Mm -hmm. a lot of friends that are doing cool shit like that but at the same time what do you think
2: yeah I think people, and no, no matter what it is, or college, the few people that I still talk to from growing up, you know, you gravitate towards like-minded people, right? If you're, and, and I think that m- mine are, you know, hungry for success, want to do cool things, but get there the right way, right? I think that that's the group that I came out of college closest with. And th- those are the people that I'm still close with today. And I think that, um, yeah.
1: How do you feel about rolling a ping pong table down Massachusetts Ave to get to the new house? Is that the right way to transport your beer was, pong table? You no, know,
2: that was for the people. Uh, every college apartment had to have a ping pong table.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, did I tell you, Kieran Donahue, who is one of the assistant basketball coaches at, at AU, is, he's coming on the show. I'm convinced him. I'm so excited. Okay, that's cool. Yeah what is so uh, did you i think a lot about your decision to leave american senior year and go to rutgers like Mm -hmm. and then which sucked what was it the acl within a like a
2: third game torn acl
1: uh, um how hindsight being what it was right and selfishly like i missed you tremendously like I, i and i felt for you in those moments but but that said like looking back yeah. What would you, I don't want to say like, it's a cliche question. Like, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Like before, yeah. like what, how, how, how are you thinking about that period in your life now?
2: Oh man. So I go back and forth on this uh, all the time. The, the, you know, that's probably one of the biggest life events that I've had probably top 10 usually, right? On the one hand, um, I, I left uh, an amazing program that was small to an amazing program, you know, American thousand people at every game, Rutgers, 8,000 people at every game, you know, it was just a larger scale. And my ambitions to play pro soccer, I mean, the likelihood of that happening, had I not blown out my knee, were probably 10x at Rutgers, right. But I I left a lot of people who are still very close friends, you know, who remain close, who um, I talk to still. And that, you know, that the special thing we had, it gets created a few times in life. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think um, I don't know the answer to your question. I'm not going to uh, please you with that. No, but- there's,
1: I'm not looking for a right or wrong. I'm just truly curious. Yeah. Like that one's, the, I remember that I feel like the bigness of that decision, I can still feel it
2: mm-hmm.
1: now. From when we were 20, 21. Yep. And I mean, then
2: if I got injured, there's no doubt I would have probably played pro soccer. You for, were exceptional.
1: Yeah. You were exceptional. To watch uh, you play, you were fucking exceptional.
2: Thank you. I'm old now and, and <laughs> slow uh, after six knee surgeries. But I think, um, you know, it would have been the right decision had I ended up playing pro soccer for 10 years. Um, but I, I didn't. And so it's hard not to think about what that last year at American would have been like. But, um, you know, it put me on this path and here I am.
1: There's a, in Stoicism, it's called amorofante. It's a love of fate. It's not just like, you know, radical acceptance. It is what it is. It's a step further, right? Not just, not just accepting the currency, but just like learning to love it. And I certainly heard that. And I think it's a beautiful way to look at it, but it's funny. I think we all have that list of regret, not regrets, but just those pivotal moments, those decisions that seem, I don't know, they are big, right? So I don't even want to downplay them as whatever, but in some ways I felt like, you know, we call it adulting these sure. days. I feel like tw- it's 20 or 20, you're like, who wants to be responsible for a decision like that at like 20, but
2: again, it's one of those things, um, you know, you learn and grow from uncomfortable situations and events and, um, there won't be too many more uncomfortable things than I go through in life than that. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. so if I look at it on a, on a positive, you know, there's not much that could uh, shake or or crack me after that all went down and the and the way it went down.
1: Well, I can fucking relate to that one. Yeah. Um. Okay. So back to uncomfortable conversations. What is the hardest? I don't want to say hardest, but one of I'm thinking about uncomfortable conversations and I'm curious about like in your career as a tech seller and then manager, leader, you know, all the amazing things that you've done. What What's one of the hardest conversations that you've had to have either with buyers or internally?
2: Yeah, I, I think most at this point are are internally, um, you know, and it, it comes down to being honest with people and and maybe
1: um no i need more detail i need like a, a specific example yeah. okay
2: so uh, there there are two types of people in meltwater there's ICs, salespeople and then there are sales leaders right mm-hmm. somebody starts with meltwater everybody or 90 percent of the people want to be sales leaders you know some people and uh we learned this the hard way over the years and got good at it um you know some people aren't built to lead aren't Uh, cut out to be a leader or a manager or a people leader right Uh, I think in this scenario you know uh, imagine a person that isn't cut out for it right that all they want is that you know but then you need to tell this person that they're, they're an amazing individual contributor that is their path right So I I think that most conversations that I have that are tough are along those lines. A person wants something, whatever it is, but their skill set and what they'd be great at is something different. So it's that punch in the face that people get off of those conversations, right? But this this goes back to good sales leaders. You, You need to put your people on their right path to success no matter, um, you know, the difficulty of doing that. And maybe it's the honest truth in, in this case.
1: You know, it's funny. I'm one of my buddies, Matt Gaston um, from, from high school, who I'm pretty sure you met at some point, but anyway, Gaston was like, and this is recent, this was this summer, like talking about that idea of like feedback. Right. And something that he had said, it was, it w- was race related right around George Floyd and it stung and that we were practicing really with the microphone, we actually recorded the conversation. Um and he had this line about well, like sometimes it's good to get stung. You yeah. know, and so we 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 tend to avoid it or not want to hear it or and it's right along that same vein about like we learn from our mistakes, but And this is a a Maria Bross, which is a young woman that I've, I had mentored, um, who's now a great friend, but she has a line around feedback about how I'd be, I'm more concerned with harboring blind spots than the stinging nature of a tougher feedback conversation. And so that's like how she had articulated being able to handle some of the the tougher conversations with me during like a mentorship conversations. And so I always thought that that was a pretty beautiful way to do it. But to add to that, Herman, about what you just said, like I think of all the mediocre sales bosses that never had a a sales leader to come and say, okay we've tried this a couple of ways. Like, I think it's time to come up with a plan B mm-hmm. and instead of that, having that conversation, we just leave that person there, which is now you're impacting six different human beings slash revenue producers. So we'll just, we'll leave the wiseness of that decision off for a different day. But there's that, which is a, a testament to you and which is incredible. And then the second piece about it, what you just said, which is I'm curious, right? When you talked about listening to your people and understanding about what they want and like professionally and career-wise, I marry that with, you know, I had to claw my way to sales enablement. Like I found sales enablement through going through exercises with my resume and like surfacing what I loved and wanted to do, like whatever, I've talked about this. But I didn't find the profession until after I went through that exercise of honing in and exactly like I wanted to empower sellers until afterwards. And so I'm pretty passionate about, about creating or having conversations about adjacent career paths for ICs that is not be a sales manager or sales boss or sales leader And I'm curious, like what say you in that, in that sense, because you referenced options and you referenced listening, but how does that equate to, you know, create a a trajectory for maybe an IC to head to marketing or to product? Like, oh God, God forbid we send a non-tech person over to tech. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you do that in a way that is broader than just be a leader or keep selling?
2: Yeah. So I think, um, in my experience, it comes down to, is this somebody we want to keep at the company at all costs, right? If it is, then you find something for that person, uh, outside sales. So what, what I mean by good for the company is culture. I, I
1: understand good for the company, but why can't we have like a, 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 turnkey, more of a turnkey process so that an IC can see career mm-hmm. options?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it depends. Every company is going to be different in that sense, right? Like Meltwater, 2,500 people, uh, 2,200 are salespeople, right? We are just not, um, you know, we don't have too many other functions, departments, things like that. Um, but like I said, we've moved plenty of people into marketing, product specialists, business analysts, right? Um, help, inbounds. So I think that, um, you know, again, it, it, it comes down to, or is that a good quality person that you want as part of your team versus, um, yeah, maybe they aren't. And, um, I guess they need to move on and find something else.
1: So you said something right there that, that I want to call out for those that are listening. There was, um, social proof in that or precedence, where you can look at peers that moved into different departments and see that it's possible. And that is sometimes speaks louder, not sometimes often than like a stupid handbook that says, look at all these career options you have, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome. Okay. So final question, Harm Squirm. Yes. One piece of advice for our listeners about uncomfortable conversations.
2: Um, you have to be yes. honest. You have to do it. If you aren't being honest with the person that's reporting to you, that needs to learn for you uh, from you, right? You're letting them down and letting yourself down. You have to seek out the uncomfortable conversations because the quicker you have them, the quicker that person will get on the right track. And, and that is, if you don't do it, nobody will. And then you're you're failing at the most important thing as a leader.
1: Yay. All right. I'm not going to touch that. That was pretty awesome. Although I'm, I'm chuckling about seeking out uncomfortable conversations. And I don't think I ever told you this. My dad, when we were, when I was in grade school, we at the kitchen table, did I, have I told you this? No. Used to ask my sisters and I, um, when did you feel butterflies in your stomach that day? Mm -hmm. And he used that analogy for like operating outside of your comfort zone because the, the just, and if I didn't have like a specific example to report back that day of here's when I felt uncomfortable, here's when I got those butterflies, then the, it wasn't very subtle at all that, that I had not grown that day and this was a nightly thing. And so now I use the analogy about chasing butterflies, but like leaning into the discomfort. And so you've really just, you spoke to, to me on that one, and I hope the listeners—I mean, I, I hope—is not a strategy, as R.J. Jefferson says. I know that those that are wise enough to have stayed with us through the remainder of this conversation, like leaning into that uncomfortableness and that honesty, is mad, mad important. All right, my friend. All thanks right. for coming to play. Oh, I didn't even ask you when All you right. were talking shit on LinkedIn, which I would love to do and enjoy. How do you feel about podcasts?
2: Yeah, I think. Uh- <laughs> There's so many, I, I think um, find the ones that uh, keep you energized enough to keep coming back or else you could just get lost in podcasts for 22 hours a day.
1: Moderation, everything in moderation. Right. Oh. This
2: happens to be one of my favorites. So
1: <laughs> you didn't even, you know what? I'll take it, I'll take it. Yeah, the great Andrew Armin everybody um, says that Revenue Real Hotline, even though we don't have a hotline yet, that's coming. Um, says that this is one of the favorites, so I'll take that one. Sounds like a Drake song. (laughs) All right, listeners, truth, love, and joy, friends, thank you for for hanging around for the remainder of, of the episode and for spending some time with us. Happy selling.
2: Thanks, Ames.
0: was heavy, but necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important, but I I also live in the real world, right, where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risks she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is gonna be
1: pissed. Karen! All right, friends. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes.
0: Yeah, call, absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Maybe we can boss you around for a couple hours? Yeah, please. By all means, call.
1: If you like what you're hearing or are excited for this shit show and where it's going to go, definitely follow us on whatever podcast device is your preference, even though I, I seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-Spotify. But, you know, I guess I'll come to terms with that. If you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. Of course, there's always the public review of any kind, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta.
0: Just a note for our sponsors from Karen and Pete down in Legal, we are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, Please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here, you know, stuff, legal stuff.
1: You know, it's pretty crazy. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. Yeah, like there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there, but you know, it's, it's just it's wrapped up in a story.
0: Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor?
1: Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come come, sit up on my lap.
0: I don't know about you, listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. I mean, I don't have a premium count because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them, and I bought my dog food at Target this week because it was
1: on sale and I
0: saved on shipping.
1: Alright, friends. Thank you for listening to the conversation. For more ridiculousness, check out the extended cut of the outro. And that's a wrap. I can't. I can't. I can't.
0: So... This is Pete, your disclaimer specialist, coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show because this is a pod about transparency and difficult conversations. And with everyone being so open and honest, um, I must be. So here goes. Um, as the outroer to the outroe, I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, I, I misled you intentionally. As your attorney, I must confess that I am not a fucking attorney. Um, I have not passed the bar exam in the state in which I live. I uh, have never represented anyone well in anything, let alone in a court of law. Um, But again, these are difficult conversations that Amy's having with with her guests, and, and I lied. And I should tell you that. I should be open and honest, because, you know, we have been. So... We can all be better. We can all do better together. And now I'm just rambling at this point. It's just who cares? It's an outro, right? Like this is just going to fade into blackness like the Morse rover. Maybe a little bit less sad. That was fucking sad. Oh, let's not be that sad. Come on, guys.
1: We can do better.